Welcome back to End is the Future, a podcast that brings together great minds to address the opportunities and challenges of making businesses both sustainable and profitable. I am Ilham Kadri, and I'm delighted to be your host today. If you are as passionate about sustainable business as I am, let's explore how End is the Future together. So today, I'm delighted to be speaking with my good friend, Fekir Sibesma, who is the former CEO of DSM. During his time as a CEO, um, Fekir transformed DSM into a company focused on health, nutrition, and materials. And it has been considered a front runner in sustainability ever since. And by the way, he did all this while tripling DSM's value. He's, for me and for many, a great example of achieving the power of the end and making companies profitable and sustainable. Fekke, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Ilham. I know that a lot of people, Fekke, know you as a highly successful CEO. Um, but I wanted to start this podcast getting to know more about your background. And I know you were born and raised in the beautiful land of the Netherlands, where I also lived for many years, and I loved it. Maybe to start with, Fekke, what were some of, you know, th- those those real experience, intimate one, right? Growing up that really shaped you and you remember and you want to share with our audience. Well, I grew up in a, in a let's say, normal family. My father uh, was an insurance agent and uh, my mother uh, didn't work, um, uh, though later in her life she started working, mm-hmm. uh, which I really uh, liked a lot. Um, I was not very good at school. They, um, switched even school for me. So, uh, I, I, I didn't thought I would make any career. My parents neither, by the way, because uh, <laughs> it was not simple in the beginning, but still it came later on. Um, and <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, an, a normal family, uh, but with, uh, with, with, with strong values also, I think, uh, what is right, what is wrong, what should we do, how should we serve society, those kinds of things were, were in the family. Let, let me jump from, uh, you know, your, your upbringing to becoming a CEO of DSM. Um, many people, of course, know and ask what you wanted to do, and, and you gave such a great answer in one of your YouTube videos. You know, you said you wanted to run the company successfully and improve the state of the world. And I always remember this, right? What, what was, you know, the reaction at that time? And, and now 15 years later, do you think fake people's mindsets have shifted? I think so. When, when I made that statement, when I just became CEO in uh, 2007, uh, so 15 years ago, uh, people said, what ends, not ends a successful company and improving the state of the world. So therefore, by the way, Ilham, I like very much that you in this podcast address the power of the end. Um, and that is exactly uh, what I was doing and what I believe in. And and I try to give the answer. Uh, and the reason is that I say, of course, uh, a company is not a charity foundation. Um mm. So we need to make our own money. Otherwise, we will go bankrupt and do not exist anymore. And of course, we have shareholders. 
like pension funds with normal people who would like to see a return over 30 years to be able to get a pension uh, where uh, pension funds invest in the company. So, of course, we need to make money. But the other thing is, as a company, we have impact on the world. The world never started by making money. The economy started by, by barter trade. You do this, I do this, we exchange goods, and we live all happily here together. So companies have a responsibility, and the more impact they have, the more responsibility they have to improve the state of the world. So I said, it is and. Now, some people say, well, if you say one more time and, we believe that we can forget your stock and um, and that the stock will go down wow. and up over your period. Uh, and that you focus more on improving, improving the state of the world. So I found it a little bit of an uphill battle at that moment mm-hmm. in time, because exactly to you, to infect your podcast, people say those two things are mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, let me prove it is not mutually exclusive. <laughs> Today, I think many people say, okay. You are right because you more than tripled your share price and, and you created great value and you became one of the most sustainable companies. And okay, you're right. They can go hand in hand together. It was not excluded. They can go hand in hand. And I think we're moving. If we fast forward 15 years, they will go. They must go. They have to go hand in hand together. Otherwise, the millennials won't work for you anymore. Your consumers don't buy your products anymore. You lose your license to operate. So I think uh, I see a shift. I see a shift. And and to be honest, not only with companies, but also on the investor side. Uh, I think yeah. they are shifting as well. Yeah. So yeah. glad I see a shift. But in the beginning, it was a little bit uphill battle. Absolutely. And you were a pioneer, definitely. And 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 actually, you talked about investors, the markets and the external audience. What's about the internal audience? And I know as a CEO, you were one of my first role models, you know, thinking about the purpose for the company. Um, it was the same for me, for example, when I joined Solve, I had to repurpose even 160 years old company. And I, I remember you came to the conclusion at Solve, uh, at DSM to create brighter lives for people today and generation to come. So help our audience. How did you get there? How did you embark your people uh, to craft that purpose and how you get them on board? Did you run to any challenges you can share with us? Yeah, in the beginning, it was difficult also transforming uh, DSM because I want to make the company more future-proof. Uh, that means also that I stopped some activities, that I divested some activities, that we mm. made a switch and that we transformed the company. And of course, some former board members, some former colleagues, uh, some uh, board members at that moment in time found that transition all very complicated. Some said, well, you are divesting or killing our legacy. I said, no, no, no. I'm standing on your shoulders and I built further. <laughs> um, so it, it was difficult. And, and, and of course, also in transforming the company, uh, it was a bulk chemical company and uh, cost uh, was very important, the cost leadership and efficiency, et cetera. Marketing and, and positioning outside and innovation was a little bit less important. And I made that change. And that means also that we need to make a change in culture, need to make a change in, in, in some people or how we deal together. Uh, we did many 
different things on, on innovation, which became a very important driver for success. But also some innovations did not succeed. So we made the whole of failures. Uh, we organized funerals for failed projects, etc., to stimulate internally innovation and to get the people on board. And indeed, at the end of the day, we said, well, what are we doing? In fact, we, we're trying here to improve lives uh, of many people, uh, people today and generations to come with the planet, with society, etc. And to be honest, that resonated very well to our own people because, of course, the people work for a salary to pay the car and the mortgage and, and, and their living. Uh, but people want to do something meaningful also. People yeah. like it. And that brought at a certain moment when we were in this transition, a DSM's name is coming from 125 years ago, Dutch State Mines. But we are not Dutch anymore. We are not owned by the state for decades anymore. And we have no mines anymore. But we kept the three letters. And some younger people in DSM said, you know, FICA, where DSM stands for doing something meaningful. And I thought, that's true. Mm -hmm. I like mm -hmm. that. Thank you. I heard that story uh, and the one experience that was particularly moving uh, for you when you met that mother and child living in poverty in Bangladesh, if I remember well. Correct. Um, and uh, and I know that, you know, later on you, you've been engaging into WFP and other, you know, great initiatives. But let's come back to that experience. Can you tell our listeners more about it? Well, uh, it was building on, on the program we started with the World Food Program, and I wanted to help the World Food Program. And I realized that uh, a lot of the food help in the world is only carbohydrate rich. We are one of the biggest nutritional ingredients companies, so I wanted to share all our knowledge and products with them. And in one of the trips with the World Food Program uh, to Bangladesh, we were there at a, at a village which was so poor and, and people really hungry. And at a certain moment, uh, a mother gave her child and, and put it in my arms and I was totally confused and, and said to the translator, what, what, what is this? And she said, you know, uh, in Bangladeshi. And I said, what do I know? And said, mm. mother said, you know, and two words. Hmm. And with the translation at the end, she said, you know that she has six children and you know that when you come back in two years, she will not have six children anymore. Wow. And that touched me and I was yeah. standing there and it was a very, yeah, smart lady. Uh, I, I don't mm. know, I don't think any education, but she said that to certain in Bangladesh, you know that if you come back, etc." And uh, she said, you know, I know, maybe even the world knows. And I will always remember that. And at the end, I, I, I was confused. I thought, yeah, should I take her baby? No, I, I cannot, but I follow her. Yeah, at the end, yeah. of course, I handed the baby back. Mm. She was in tears. I was in tears and it was difficult. But um, I thought when leaving there, I will remember those two words, you know, and I do. Others do, the world does, and we have a responsibility, therefore, to address this. And that stimulates me even more. Yeah, thank you, Fake. We know, we know what's moving story. Yeah, I mean, thank you for sharing. Uh, 
You also founded the FACA, the Africa Improved Foods to, to Address Hunger. And the African I am, I was born and raised in North Africa. It's so important using local manufacturing, by the way, and you were given the United Nations Humanitarian of the Year Award, well-deserved. I'd be in interested to hear more about that. Specifically, there is a big focus lately on how we can sustainably feed the growing population. The Africa, the latest probably continent uh, we have, you know, for building more prosperity, uh, but also it, it, with the angle of what's going on in Ukraine um, and, and the potential famine, people are really talking about a crisis and, and, yeah. and food crisis coming in by next winter because they are missing, you know, a season now in Ukraine. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, at the end of today, we cannot see the solution of hunger. And there are almost a billion people in the world who go to bed hungry uh, already for decades, almost every five seconds. Uh, a child dies in the arms of her own parents uh, out of hunger. And food help is good as an emergency, but it's not the final solution. And discussing first with Kofi Annan and later on with Ban Ki-moon and the head of the World Food Program at that moment, a good friend, Ertrin Kusa, uh, how should we solve this? We help the World Food Program, but this is not the solution. They said, no. The solution is local production. I said, you're right. You know what? We will do that. And they said, yeah, sure. They said, no, 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 we will really do that. So we mm. made an analysis. We started in Rwanda. We started with 10,000 farmers. Now we have 150,000 uh, farmers. We say to the farmers, we buy all your crops. We buy everything you produce. So that gives you continuity. Uh, we commit that for three years, every year. Uh, a year drops and we add the year, we really commit ourselves uh, to you guys. And uh, we build a big factory in Kigali. We uh, uh, bring your crops uh, to Kigali. We make nutritious food uh, out of your crops for the local population. So locally sourced, locally processed for the local population. And uh, now as we speak, we are moving into Ethiopia and Kenya. And I would like to expand this through the entire Africa. And at the end, at the end, the company African Proof Foods, which has some investors, should be handed over to collectors of farmers and they should own it. And then we get not only locally sourced, locally processed and for the local population, but also locally owned. And, uh, and I think this is the model. So I'm working yeah. very hard, um, with AIF, uh, to get this achieved and. I think this is the model. Uh, let's make Africa self-supporting, self-sufficient uh, in their food production. And we do it now also. We help the farmers with technology, etc., to do that in a climate-resilient uh, manner. Because let's be honest, uh, Africa, Bangladesh, island states are suffering already today mm. from the climate change. You cannot accuse them that they caused it. We caused the climate change. And they are suffering in first instant now. So this is not fair. And I would like to contribute to that. Yeah. And and thank you. The African I am obviously is moved and, and thankful. And you're right. I mean, Africa is using less than one planet per capita, while others are using four, five, six, you know, whatever. 
So right. indeed, um, there is a crisis in 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 sustainably, you know, food, you know, support and supply to those populations. But you talked about the impacts on climate, and I know you are a co-chair of the Global Center on Adaptation. You have been right. always a leader, you know, out there on climate action and adaptation. Is it enough? I mean. All our companies, and frankly, DSM is the best in class. You left a huge legacy for any running CEO today to, to get there in terms of neutrality, etc. COP26, disappointed, excited about what's happened. I think many companies, we've seen them pledging Paris Accords or SBTI. But from your vintage point, Fake, um, uh, in that position um, as, a, as, a, as a climate leader, what actions are you seeing or do you do you are you asking companies like ours to do more that really makes a difference today yeah i think uh, it's a great question Ilham. and and i think we have the responsibility to decrease our emissions and to work hard on technologies to decrease our emissions um by roughly half in 2030 to net zero by 2050 and I set up also in uh, next to the co-chair of the Global Climate uh, uh, Centers with Ban Ki-moon, uh, we have also this um, uh, CEO Climate Leaders uh, Alliance, which I founded. And uh, and their CEOs and companies commit themselves to this 2030-2050 targets aligned with SBTI, aligned with the Paris uh, Treaty. Um, therefore, I like also to put a price of carbon to, to, to stimulate people even uh, to do more on that. Uh, we stimulate to use the TCFD framework uh, for the reporting and the transparency, etc. On, on all of this. So I think companies need to take a responsibility for their own company, but also for what we call Scope 3 uh, and, and, and for your um, uh, customers, but of course also for your suppliers, so on the whole supply chain. Also, if you discuss circularity, uh, I know you interviewed also uh, my good friend Adam McCarter. If you discuss mm. circularity, also you need to discuss the whole supply chain. So companies need to take that, that responsibility and they can help also their own supply chain with their own innovations and their own steps. On top of climate mitigation, so companies can contribute also to climate adaptation mm -hmm. with the innovations and the technologies. On adaptation, companies do very little at this moment. It's more governments who work on that, but I stimulate companies also uh, to work on this. And it has all to do with the beginning of our interview. Um, yeah, it is what I call, you need to do well financially by... Mm -hmm doing good for the world and you need to use the SDGs, you need to use the problems of the world to make your money and to contribute to a better world, which I I, I think served its purpose, but it's a little bit outdated, is all the corporate social responsibility activities, because that feels a little bit, we have a company, but on the side, we do some great things. No, I would like companies to do great things in the core of their business with their core competences in their own business model. Make your company future-proof, change your company, contribute to a better world, like climate, like hunger, uh, like all our SDGs. And I think companies have the technologies uh, to do that. It means also that sometimes you need to change your company, and yeah. that is scary. You need <laughs> to dare things to do that. <laughs> 
We mm -hmm. did it in the seven. I know myself, it's very scary because if yeah. you want to move your boat and mm -hmm. fish somewhere else, then you need to lift your anchors. Otherwise your boat is not moving and lifting yeah. your anchors. Oh, that is scary. Yeah. Uh, but you need to have the guts to do that and to adjust and adapt. And as a biologist, I always quote Darwin that at the end, it is the fittest who will survive and not the biggest, not the strongest, not the fastest, but the ones who adapt the most. Adapts, and I think yeah. uh, companies need to adapt as a society. We need to adapt because the old models will not be applicable in the future. Yeah. What took us here will not bring us there. What, what's a testimonial? Thank you. Well, I cannot let you go, and, and this is a great conversation, um, without talking about diversity, equality, and inclusion. You are a big advocate. You are a catalyst yeah. champion. Uh, you say the diversity is invited to the party, but let's dance together. And diversity is what you see. Inclusion, equality is what you do. And you rightly say that I think I, I, I didn't hear it from many, to be honest with you. Um, I, I heard you saying, I don't want to live in a world that is dominated and dictated by men. It was just straight to the point as usual, Faker. Um, and you said as well, and we know it, there is a real clear business case for diversity, equality and inclusion. Uh, how did you work to improve that at, at, at DSM? Um, and, and is there any tip for many of us, frankly? I mean, I, I could, I could, you know, uh, gain and score in financials, non-financials, yeah. etc. in my career. But I always find that DE&I is, is, is more difficult, right? Really, because getting women to follow STEM careers, getting it sticky inside the organization in the middle management, you may have blockers, you don't see them. How, you know, give us some tips, give, give us some secrets. How do you see improvements across the board and across the industry? We started, by the way, our whole journey 15 years ago with diversity. And then we said, no, it's not only diversity. It's diversity and inclusion, d and I. And then we said, no, 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 it's inclusion and diversity, I and D. <laughs> yeah. And then we said, basically, it is inclusion. And if you do inclusion well, diversity hopefully will follow. So that, that's one thing because it has to do something with inclusion. It has to do something with unconscious bias, uh, with not realizing things, etc. And therefore the inclusion part is a very important element to get diversity in your company. With every topic that I addressed in my journey, I tried to spend some time on the why. People start too fast over the why and said, yeah, we know why we need to transform or why we need to do good for the world or why we need diversity. And I always said, no, 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 let's, let's spend a few more seconds on the why, because if we are aligned on the why, we will find the how. If we are not aligned on the why, we will get confusion in the how. And the why, like you said, uh, for me, why inclusion and diversity? Because I don't want, I just don't want to live or my boys growing up to boys. I don't want them to grow up in a world that's dominated by men. That's one. Secondly, it's also not smart. It's not smart as companies, as society to neglect 50% of the talents in the world, females, women, women. And certainly there is a clear business case that diversity, uh, helps in a company. If you look to innovation or whatever. Uh, and people need to realize uh, the benefit of the party, what I call, of surprises. 
and not mm -hmm. always enjoy only the party of recognition of things you already knew. If you only have men around 50 white coming from the same university, it is the party of confirmation. It's great. Mm -hmm. They confirm each other the whole day because they came from the same school, same salt, same etc. Uh, that feels comfortable, uh, but it's not helpful in innovation. It creates myopia. So better enjoy the party of surprises than the party mm -hmm. of, of reconfirmation. Having done so, uh, we got so much commitment on the why. We should come with commitment that we need to steer on inclusion. And that based on that, we developed programs. We asked uh, a lot of questions. And we went, for example, into questions uh, with top talent um, promotions. Uh, why is this woman uh, not promoted? And we took a couple mm. of examples. And it was funny that some man said, well, I want to promote him and not her. And I said, why? Well, she is not ready. And I said, why is she not ready? <laughs> well, I don't know whether she's ready, but she indicates also that she's not ready. I said, what? Well, the guy is much more aggressive indicating that he's ready for the step. So mm -hmm. I said, so your female candidate, uh, want to explore the context before she goes for it, where the guy want to go for it and figures out the context later on. This is a yeah. different approach, but they both do the same context and going for it, but in different order. Don't let yourself being misled by behavior which you don't recognize because you are a man but which is very good and we need that desperately in our company those kind of insights help people said yeah you're right maybe she's ready but she expresses it in a different way I said yeah yeah absolutely and therefore uh uh look uh, in a less biased way and i cannot prevent i mean everybody including myself is is, is biased uh, but we should realize that and 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 try, uh, therefore, to to make the right step. And I loved what you said, Fake, about the why, and and that's we need to pause. You made me when you were talking, thinking about Mark Twain. You know, quotes about the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. And and we need to continuously pause on the why, including in our organization. You, you spoke about your two sons, right? And you care very deeply also about young people. What leadership advice would you give to our next generation of leaders? Uh, what's your recipe of success for becoming a leader in your opinion, Faith? Hmm. <laughs> a couple of things. What I think which makes a leader a good leader, of course, there are many elements. You need to be decisive. You need to do this, mm. etc. You mm. need to develop a vision. You need to connect with people. You need to deliver. You need to develop other people, etc. But for me, it starts with insight. Mm. Uh, if you as a leader have no insights and insight is insight in yourself, your own strengths, your own weakness, your own habits, your own impact, your own shadow, Insights in the people you work with and insight in the world you operate in. If you have no insights, you will not become a good leader, how decisive or whatever you are. Mm. Develop your insights. And the interesting thing with insights is insights come with listening, observing, reading, talking with people, listening to them. And leaders when they're the leadership development trajectory and become leaders even, 
uh, are sometimes more on stage, talking, presenting, uh, telling. And you don't develop a lot of insights by doing that. You develop more insights by, by what I said. So insight is an important thing. And I hope my sons and I hope all leaders in the world will, will work on their insight. I hope the second thing is that they work on the power, what you call, and I embrace that very much, what you call the power of and uh, be successful and create a better world, not instead of, but, but and not, uh, and you need to do both. And that means per definition, uh, you need to be caring. You need to be yeah. caring for your own organization, for your own people, for your own family, uh, but caring for society also. I mean, imagine that you would be very successful in your job, in your health, etc. but your kids are not doing well. Your wife is ill or whatever. And if you meet somebody mm. and that somebody asks you, how are you doing? You most likely will not say excellent. Uh, mm. You will say, well, so, so. And that somebody, oh, something with your job? No, job is excellent. Your house? No, it's excellent. So why, why, why? <laughs> because the people I care about are not doing yeah. well and therefore I don't yeah. feel well. And we live in increasingly in a global village globally. Mm. And therefore, we need to have that caring feeling, not only for our own people. We are so interlinked. You see it now in the current uh, crisis in Certainly. Ukraine, uh, yeah. how interrelated, interconnected we are all in the world. So we live in a kind of global village, and I hope we will be caring. And like I often say, uh, Ilan, I mean, at the end of the day, you cannot be successful. Or if you can, don't even call yourself successful. If you live mm. in a world that fails, try mm. to repair that world and make that world a better place in your interest, but also your moral compass interest. And that is what drives me. Fabulous. So last question, a bit more lighter. I heard that you love Motown music. What is your favorite song? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like very much Motown music. I, I grew up with that. I, I liked it. Uh, I liked uh, all of them of Motown. Uh, but I had one, I don't want to call it secret love because she was unreachable. And let my wife not hear this, but Diana Ross. Uh, oh, wow. Wow. And Diana I know Ross dreams and, and later on her single career. I mean, I was such a fan of the Supremes, such a fan of Diana Ross. Yeah. And the music really is, is uh, I loved it and, and still do, by the way. Yeah. One of my favorites, because in Morocco, in, you know, in my generation, we were listening to Diana Ross. So thank you. Thank you so much, Fikir, for joining me today. This has been, you know, a fascinating conversation and discussion. Uh, obviously, you are a true leader, a catalyst who is inspiring me and, and many business leaders around the world to actually do well and do good. And thank you for everything you do. Thank you very much, Ilan. And very nice you do this <laughs> podcast, The Power of And, and you are a living example as well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information or to listen to other episodes, visit our website, And if you like these podcasts, don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, be safe.